Welcome to the Relentless Pursuit Podcast. A great task remains, and we all have a role we can play. But what do we do with the questions we have about missions, about walking with God, about ourselves? Well, here's a space for us to wrestle and discover together. We don't have to have it all figured out to take our next step. Y'all, I am loving this season because it is giving us incredible insight into Japan. And if most of y'all have been following us from last season, you'll know that the nation of Japan is very close to my heart. Today, I get to talk with Patrick. If you have ever felt torn of where God wanted you to land among the nations, then I think you're really going to have a lot in common with Patrick. In this episode, Patrick will tell us how he walked through discerning where he should be and specifically listening to God. Later in the episode, spoiler alert, we'll learn that Patrick and his family ended up in Japan. He tells us about some harsh statistics and really challenging barriers to the gospel within the Japanese language. This episode is interesting, challenging, and at one point, a definite tearjerker for me. So settle in as we hear Patrick's story and celebrate God's glory among East Asia. Y'all, this season is such a treat for me because if you know me at all, you know that there is just this incredibly soft spot in my heart for Japan. And for whatever reason, this season, we're getting incredible touches with Japan. And today is no exception. So Patrick, I cannot wait to hear your story today. Thanks for being here. I am happy to be here. Great. I, well, like every guest, whenever we start an episode, I just want to hear, you know, if we can kind of think of our life on this long string and, you know, there's these points that we can kind of see all strung out, Mm -hmm. drop us in at the point where you feel like global mission uh, really came on your radar. Yeah, I think that probably started in high school. I was working at UPS with my older brother, and this was probably my junior year maybe my early senior year. And I really had no plan to go to college, didn't know what I was going to do. But when I was very young, every now and then I would talk about wanting to be a missionary. And I don't even know why I, I said that when I was like young. Like when you were a little boy. Yeah, r- very small, five, six, seven, eight. Wow. Yeah. I, I, so I don't know what the motivation was at that point, but then that went away for a long time. And every day during break time at UPS, the whole factory would take a break at the same time. They'd shut all the belts off, all the boxes stopped moving. And so I would leave my area and go visit with my older brother. And one day he told me he was going to move and go to Bible college and he wanted to be a missionary. And that really blew my mind. That was kind of out of left field. I remember the only thing I said was, wow, grandma is really going to like that because our grandmother was really into church and she, she really liked it when her grandkids did stuff like that. So that was my only response. At that point, I, it didn't really plant a seed. Uh, well, maybe planted the seed, but it didn't speak to me at that moment in terms of getting me motivated. And then as time went on, I continued to consider it. And I slowly started thinking, well, maybe this is something that I should do. And so I remember one day finally telling him, do you think it'd be okay if I moved at the same time you did and started Bible college with you? And you know, maybe we could do missionary work together in the future. So I think he was the impetus for that. And at that point, I didn't really have a strong vision of why missions is important or, you know, these overarching big themes that you hear people talk about today, but it was small and, but it was enough. And I moved, started at Bible college and learned a lot as I went. So I think my older brother was a really big and influential piece in that. 
Yeah. Nice. So uh, you went to Bible college and you just kind of kept going from there. So then did you go all the way through before you took your first trip or what was kind of the, what, what started um, throughout your time at Bible college? Well, I went to, for a, a degree in missions. And so it's kind of interesting because a lot of people, because God's calling people from all different fields and backgrounds and education to global work today, so most of the time when I talk to people, they didn't do the traditional route of, you know, going to school to study missions. They're, they have a background in tons of other things and That's then God right. just yeah. moves them yeah. into that. Uh, but for me, it was a little bit more straightforward. So I was actually in these classes and I didn't take my first missions trip until uh, the summer between my sophomore and junior year. And I went to Costa Rica, which is actually where I met my wife. She was on the same trip as me. Oh, uh, wow. But we did same school? Same or just school. different? Okay. Wow. Same school. Yeah. But we didn't know each other. I kind of knew her, but she had no idea who I was. So yeah. perfect. Uh, yeah. yeah. So we, we kind of started our relationship actually around missions. We met on a missions trip. So it was kind of fitting and then realized that she also had a heart for it. So that was uh, our, my first trip. And then my second one was going to China, which I did uh, closer to my senior year. So those were the two trips and those were very formative because they were in very different parts of the world, very different contexts. And just a different style with each of them. But those and then classes and having professors that had served overseas, the whole time I was going through college, you know, reading books, just being challenged, things started to change where I started to realize, okay, this is why missions is important. This is why we go overseas. And so a lot of that stuff came as time progressed. Yeah, definitely. You make a great point that those two trips that were so formative, well, no wonder they were. They were in completely different religious right. blocks and you know regions of the world. I mean, everything about them is practically different. So uh, what happened then? What happened after those two couple trips? So after- You met your wife. So then when did you get married? Yeah. So uh, we did not get married when we were in college. That happened after college. So the plan was always to do missions. And then when her and I started dating, it was really nice because that was always her passion as well. But we knew when we finished school that we weren't quite ready to uh, move overseas yet in a in like a formal missionary capacity. So her older brother was living in South Korea teaching English, and uh, she graduated a year before I did. So after her graduation, she moved to Hawaii. I went to China on my missions trip. She kind of did her own thing, and then we came back together. And then after I graduated, I moved to South Korea before she did based on her brother's recommendation. He said, you can come over, teach English, they'll pay for your apartment, pay for your insurance, and then you just get to live overseas. So it was a really good post-college, but before official missionary work type of a trip or you know, a move really. So we ended up staying there for four and a half years. And shortly after she arrived there, we ended up getting married. So it was a little bit unplanned, but and it worked out for the best. Oh, totally. It's yeah. funny to hear you say that. I've only, I mean, I don't know, from what the position I'm in right now with the friendships I have and the work mm-hmm. I do, you know, when I meet people, it's funny because I think I hear a lot more often, oh, my, you know, my husband, my wife, they didn't want anything to do with missions. And so right. it was so awkward at first, or it was kind yeah. of a, it was hard to discern, you know, wow, what, what voice is kind of going to be feeding into our marriage, you know, whatever that looks like. And so for you and your wife to already be on such common ground <laughs> before yes. you got married, that's such a gift, I feel like, to your it marriage, was, to your It future. was a tremendous gift because I hear that a lot oh, yeah. from people. They say, what do I do if I feel called and my yeah. spouse isn't? What do I do if I have this passion, but my spouse wants to stay here? 
So it is important to work through that. Thankfully, I didn't have that challenge. But I know I know a girl that is a missionary kid. She grew up in Central America. She's 21. She's been back in the States now for maybe five or six years. And uh, she still has a heart to live overseas and, you know, grew up speaking Spanish. And she said, I was dating this guy and she lives in Missouri. And I was telling him about my heart to travel and, you know, I have this sort of adventurous spirit. And I said, don't you think you'd ever want to? And he said, maybe one day I think I might want to move to Arkansas. And I, she started to realize that he really didn't have a, a, a heart to live overseas. Yeah, a bit of a gap there. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit. Oh, that's – well, yeah, I'll have to say that you're, you and your wife, um, that's exciting to hear that that was so mutual for you both. Right. So you got married. You're in the Koreas. How long did you stay there for? We were in Korea, South Korea for four and a half years. That's and right. during okay. that time, we helped to start an international church there, and we were very involved with that. So we didn't we didn't consider it really uh, missions work per se, because I was just honest with people. I was just trying to make money and pay off college debt. Uh, yeah, but, wow. But we were involved, and we had a chance to travel quite a bit in Asia and Southeast Asia when we were there. And we were always still praying about and looking at where God would have us serve. So... Uh, the heart was there, but we just knew that it wasn't the moment for us to move overseas yeah. yet. You'd, you'd mentioned a second ago you were there to plan international church, or that's what kind of resulted in your time there. What does that actually mean? Well, we arrived, um, I got there in July of 2007, and there was a church that started in May of that year. So it, it started shortly before I got there, but I quickly uh, uh, met the guys that helped start it and became very involved. And then when my wife came a few months later and we got married, we just really committed ourselves to it. And so we ended up leading the small groups and I became an elder. So I didn't, I wasn't there for the initial meeting of it, but I became an elder early on and we helped to kind of form it and kind of get it on its feet along with a lot of other people. It wasn't just us by any means. Yeah, no, that's, that's cool. I uh, I feel like for anyone listening, it might be confusing to hear international church. Like, mm-hmm. who's attending? Uh, is it English uh, speaking? I mean, like, I just didn't know the the culture of it. Oh uh, yes, right. So their motivation was uh, in in South Korea, churches are huge, and Korean churches love to have an English ministry. So it's kind of bragging rights if you're a church that's large enough to have sort of an offshoot where you oh. have you also have the English ministry or the English service. Okay. And, yeah. And those guys had been around that for a long time, but it can be good, but it can also bring challenges because the mother church has a lot of oversight. And there's sometimes there's a gap there between what they want to do and what the, you know, the international pastors are wanting to do. So basically they felt God was leading them to have an independent meeting that wasn't connected with a larger Korean church. And so right, yeah. we had we had ties with Korean churches, but we were independent and we um, the services were in English. So we attracted a lot of international students and then a lot of English teachers that were there, uh, people from all over. So it was international in the sense that uh, it wasn't done in Korean and it just had a really strong flavor of people from all over the world. Wow. Oh, what a cool thing to be a part of and help establish. That's, mm-hmm. that's exciting. I'd love to attend something like that. I feel it's like it's still Korea. going today. Yeah. Oh, is great. it? Oh, yes. good. Yes. Wow. I love that. So, four and a half years, what happened then? So, uh, fast forward to early 2012. At that point, we're trying to 
figure out what's next after Korea. We kind of felt like our time there was winding down. And my wife always had a passion for Africa. And I always had a passion for reaching unreached people groups. And I, but I didn't have a specific place in mind. So I'd been praying and researching about different places in Africa that had needs. And so we found out about the country of Mozambique and the needs there. And there are a lot of unreached groups there. Of course, it's in Africa. So it kind of ticked the two boxes that we started with for criteria. And so our, the church that we were a part of in Korea helped send us to South Africa and then to Mozambique at the beginning of 2012. And so we were there uh, two or three weeks. And a lot of missionaries into Mozambique live in South Africa. It's kind of a hub for missions because they border each other. So we spent the first part of our trip there talking with missionaries, you know, looking at maps, doing the whole survey thing, just asking questions about the different groups. And then we went into Mozambique and met with different missionaries, traveled around, met different individuals that were Christians, met people that were doing Bible translation. And really it was just a survey trip to see, is this place a good fit for us? Is this where God might be leading us? And it quickly became apparent that it was not, it was not wow, a, a okay. good fit. Yeah. What was some of the indicators that made you feel that way? Well, there were a lot, and this is why it's so important to go to a place before you commit to it. Um, to take a survey trip and go yes, figure to it take out. A survey yeah, trip. Totally. yeah, just to be on the ground and just to be able to talk with people. So a few things just really stuck out to us. Um, I, it's very rural. Uh, a lot of jungle roads, very difficult living, very hard living there. Yeah. And one of the workers that we talked to there said, sometimes I spend 90% of my day fixing my truck because the roads, which are basically just dirt paths where he lives way out in the bush, they just tear vehicles up. So, you know, he's welding his truck and working on all that. And I don't have the mechanical skills that he did. So I realized, okay, if I'm here, I... I'm not going to be a good fit for that. And then, you know, the wildlife, snakes, spiders, all that. My wife, even though she had a heart for Japan, I'm not sure she was really thinking, or sorry, a heart for uh, Mozambique and Africa in general. I don't think she was thinking um, too much about the wildlife. So then when you get there, and he, uh, you know, we're walking through one uh, place where we were staying with missionaries and the guy said, yeah, on that path that you're on now, last week, somebody killed a deadly snake, like right, oh right there. Gosh. And yeah. you know, you're hearing all pass. that. Yeah. Very, uh, yeah. I, it was a kind of a hard pass. So there was that. And then also I think what was really important was realizing what our giftings are because my wife's very outgoing and she has a real passion for ladies ministries. And most of the missionaries that we talked to, especially in the Northern parts of the country where there's a strong Islamic influence, uh, the, the wives said, most of my work is in the home. I've never been in a Mozambican home. Uh, it's my expectation in this context is pretty much just to lay back and, you know, take care of things at the house, but I don't have a lot of interaction with the people. And so when my wife heard that and she thought about all of the ways that she wants to reach out and the ways that in the past before we had been there that she had been able to minister to others. It just didn't feel like a great fit for her giftings. And her and I have always believed that 
she's as much of a missionary as I am. You know, you talk to some people and they say, oh, he's the missionary and she's following. But definitely, we've never felt that way. So I think it's important to think about uh, both individuals in the marriage, in the relationship, and where are both of them feeling led and where are their giftings. That's so good. I want to hear more about that because I think that's going to be a game changer for so many people to understand and hear more about why does it matter how you're made? Or or basically what I'm trying to ask is you said that it really mattered to your wife that, you know, she get to tap into what she really feels drawn to, but yet she hated snakes. So how do you weigh that? How do you, I mean, I don't know. How do you think that it matters why we're made and, and what we do with that? I think it's important to realize why you're made and what you want to do and what your giftings are because it's not the best strategy to say i feel miserable in this place so that's why i know that god's calling me here i think some people the idea is you know god's probably going to call me to a place that i don't i don't want to go to yeah yeah for sure if I feel challenged here and if I feel like I could never make it here, that's probably right in the middle of God's will. And that rationale never made sense to us. I, I don't see that you'd want to start out before you even move there going, I'm going to hate it. Where does that come from? Because I think the same thing. I think I've heard that so many times that if you feel kind of miserable, it must be a good fit because God wants you to be tough or he wants you to you know, rely on his strength. But where do we get that? I th- I think everybody is different, but part of it comes from maybe more of a mentality that uh, living for God is just hard. I've had I've had so many people that have told me when I was younger I wanted to be a missionary, but I was always so afraid that if I prayed that prayer to say God take me where you want me, I knew I was going to end up in Africa. I 100%. knew I was going to end up. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Everyone's so, afraid to pray that prayer. <laughs> exactly. So somehow this idea has been smuggled in that serving God always must be joyless and he's going to send you wow. to yeah. the place of your worst fears. And I just, I don't really, see, you see in the Bible, God taking people to hard places. I mean, you, you think about Jonah in Nineveh, but I don't necessarily think that's the norm. And for us, we just started thinking, where do we want to be? Where do our passions lie? And where do our giftings seem to fit the best? Um, but my wife, up, uh, my wife grew up hearing that if you're serving in a place that's comfortable, it's not true missions work. You have to be suffering. And uh, sometimes God does call us to that, but that didn't appeal to us. Yeah. Oh, that makes so much sense. Yeah, I, I hope to learn more about that. I feel like as, as time goes on, just mm-hmm. why why do I create these narratives that God just wants his children to suffer? I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think that God equips us to to handle suffering and to bear with one another through suffering. But you made a comment a second ago that, you know, why would he send you a place to a place that's so joyless or that right. you would not get to experience just the sweetness of God, you know, wherever you go. And so I think yeah, I, I want to learn more about that. But I also want to ask you another question. Obviously, you know, if we could kind of pull up a map of your life and put all right. these pins in it of these countries you traveled to, you were all over. I mean, you were mm-hmm. in very different places, mm-hmm. different regions around the world, and you moved at all the right times, it sounds like. But mm-hmm. how did you know where you were supposed to go each time that you moved? I mean, it sounds like people were maybe informing that, but how did you know? That's a very good question. The initial move to South Korea after college <clears throat> was the most difficult because it's a big leap. 
just saying, I'm going to leave everything here and move to a place I've never been and work for a school <clears throat> and a person that I've never worked for that I've only, you know, I've read about this particular school on the internet. I saw an ad for it or something. So we had very little information when we were moving there and it, it really is a crapshoot. So sometimes we hear, we heard a lot of people that entered really bad situations there. So the, it was a little bit scary, but for me, it just seemed to fit logically because I knew that God was moving me toward overseas missions work, but I also knew that I wasn't ready right after college. And so it seemed like a good middle ground. Um, and it ended up being perfect for us. And that's actually that life in Korea is what ended up realize, helping us realize that we loved Asia and we had a really good fit with most urban Asian contexts that we'd been in. And so that ultimately is what helped cement in our minds that Japan is where God was leading us. So each time you make that move, uh, for us, it just came down to taking the information that we had, trusting God, and making the best move that we knew how to make. Wow. I Thanks for sharing that. My husband and I, we know this man that owns a jewelry shop in Colorado, uh, tucked up in the mountains, this really kind of isolated place. But um, you know, my husband's family knows him really well. We were talking to him one time and he had just shoebox full of photos of all these places he's traveled and things he's tried and done. Mm -hmm. And we had asked him, you know, what made you do all this? I mean, what, how did you have time for all this? Asking him, you know, just all these why, why, why questions. And he said, well, I just never said no a lot. And I think that obviously in our, you know, day to day, we, we, we like to practice, um, you know, Sabbath and rest and the, 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 just the principle of saying, no, there's a lot of power in right. that. But I also think, man, it's, it can be so freeing to think I want to give God my yes all the time. And just, yeah. I mean, I, I want to be willing to go wherever and try yes. something to, to see, taste and see like, what is God doing here? How can I be a part of it? So it sounds like for you anyway, for you to be traveling to all these different regions of the world, it's as if you just had this big yes, that you slid across the table to God saying like, I'll try it. I'll do it. I'll go. And I, wow, I really love that. Yeah. That's, I, I think that's a, you're being very gracious. I mean, I, I think yeah, yeah. we we wanted to say yes to God, but I love traveling. So for me, it wasn't hard to say, okay, I'll go to China for two months. Okay, I'll live in South Korea for four years. And then when we were there, we got to, you know, like I said, travel a lot. We got to go to Thailand, Cambodia, the Philippines, you know, all these different places. And I really do think that when you have a chance to travel, it expands your thinking and your awareness of the world. And it expands your perspective on God, because you go to all these cultures that you've never been to and you realize God's there. God's been there. He's working there in places that are totally new to you. So it helps you realize your smallness and the world's largeness, but also the fact that God is moving in all of these different places all around the world. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, you definitely want to say yes to God, but it's an adventure that you can also enjoy along the way. This is kind of, oh, we yeah. talked about that a minute ago. It's it's a joy to be able to do it and also to know that you're going with God. Yeah, that's so good. Well, I don't want to speak anything over you that's not true. And so you mentioned a second ago that I was being generous in saying <laughs> that my observation of you was that it was always a yes. So will you invite us into that a little bit more and let us know what was going on under the surface, you know, was it hard to keep the vision of, of mm. who is God? Who am I? Where am I going? Um, 
in the midst of the travel and the excitement, is it hard to kind of, I don't know. I, I just want to hear more about that. Well, the reason I said you're being generous is in my mind, if you like, for example, with China, when I went there, yes, I was saying yes to God, but there was so much enjoyment in being able to do it that it didn't feel like drudgery. Um, and, and uh, so when we moved to Japan, we are saying yes to God. And there is a lot of sacrifice that is involved in that. So I was just saying that um, for me, traveling never seemed hard, even though I think yeah, it was part of yeah. the larger thing that God was doing to try to teach us um, where he wanted us to go. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Uh, we've made uh, sightings of this throughout our conversation so far, and you mentioned it just now, but I know Japan's coming. So, oh, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So, so, can you invite us into that? When, when did yeah. it happen? So, going back to Mozambique. So, we're in oh, Africa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're in Mozambique. It's the end of our trip. We have maybe three or four days left before we're flying out. And up to this point, my wife and I had been kind of doing little mini debriefs, but we hadn't specifically come out and said, okay, is this a yes or a no? How are we feeling? But I think both of us were kind of hinting to the other one that it just didn't feel like it was going to be the right fit for us. And so the last place that we stayed was a missions apartment um, in the northern part of Mozambique. It was on the Indian Ocean. And we were there kind of walking around this little town, realizing the trip was coming to an end and sort of being more vulnerable and open with each other about what we were feeling. And we walked down to the Indian Ocean and we're standing on the beach just looking out at it. And finally, I just said, Jessica, I don't think God's moving us here. And I don't remember, I don't want to over dramatize it. I don't know if there was a sigh of relief, but I can imagine one. And it was like, oh, yes, okay, that's how I'm feeling too, definitely. And so uh, that was actually a really cool moment too, because it didn't feel like failure. It didn't feel like, oh, yeah. no, we're not coming here. It felt like, great, we're still on the same page. Oh, unity, totally. Unity, yes. Yeah. So yeah. in this missions apartment that we are staying in, they had the Operation World Book that gives a little bit of information about each country in the world, you know, the stats in terms of the people groups there and the percentage of Christians and the spiritual needs. And so I can't remember if it was before or after this conversation. I think it was a little bit before her and I talked on the beach. I was already moving away from Mozambique in my mind. And so for some reason, I looked up the entry in that Operation World Book on Japan. And I had heard little bits and pieces about the need there, but I, I didn't know all about it. And just reading that little blurb about, you know, 0.5% Christian, 127 million people at that time, the population has gone down. But you just think of those millions of people and half of 1% of them are Christian and suicide is huge there. Depression is huge there. All of those things that we know the message of Jesus addresses in people, these deep soul longings. So I talked with Jessica about it and I said, what about Japan? You know, we've lived in the second largest city in Korea for four years and we love it. We love being elbow to elbow with people on the subways, using the taxis and all this. And maybe it just feels really unnatural to switch gears so aggressively and try to now move to rural, jungle-ish Africa where we just don't feel like our giftings fit. So it took her some time because she still had that mentality that we talked about a minute ago that you have to suffer. And I think for some people, if you feel like there's a Starbucks in the location that God's moving me to, I'm not suffering enough. <laughs> 
so it took some time and some prayer, but we took a vision trip to Japan two and a half years after our trip to Africa. And so I just continued to talk with her about it. She prayed about it. We discussed it together. And then it just became very natural. It became a very clear fit for us. And then after we went there, we were on the ground. We met with some pioneers, missionaries. It just felt like, yes, this is where God's moving us and let's pursue it. Wow. And there it is. And there it is. That's how it happened. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, it's funny you mentioned Operation World. That's exactly how my husband and I first encountered just the harsh um, spiritual realities of Japan. He was flipping through one day and uh, he just came across it and it it struck him. He never stopped reading about it. This Mm -hmm. is where it all began. So, wow, I encourage anyone, you know, who hasn't heard of Operation World, it might be really helpful to just flip through it and see what kind of stirs your heart and stirs your mind for a country. But you mentioned a little bit of the culture of Japan and Mm -hmm. and just the cultural um, barriers maybe to spiritual things in the nation. So can you dive in a little bit more for that? Yeah. Japan is so different than the US and then the Western world in terms of their thinking and their mindset. And so that's part of the the need in Japan is just a very, very different mindset that you encounter in Japan and in much of Asia when you compare it to the US. So Japan is kind of an honor and shame system. So in the US, we kind of deal with things more in terms of guilt or innocent, innocence. So am I guilty of this or am I innocent of it? And I am no expert in this, but what kind of helped open my eyes was reading a book about honor and shame cultures. It wasn't about Japan, but it mentioned Japan. And it said at the beginning of World War II, the U.S. for the first time was engaging in warfare with a non-Western entity. Um, And so they hired this world famous sociologist and they asked her to do a report on, you know, who are the Japanese? And she basically came back and said, you have to understand that this mentality is very different than what you have with most Americans. And she went on to talk about the honor and the shame thing. That's a very big part of their culture. Are the things that I'm doing shameful or are they honorific? Am I bringing shame to my group, to my family, to my work, or am I bringing honor? And then in the West, we do have some sense of that. Those aren't terms that are totally foreign to us, but it's more of, am I guilty or am I innocent? And some of that even comes out in the way that we present the gospel. So when you move into a place like Japan, I think one of the challenges for missionaries is to figure out how do I separate my cultural trappings from the gospel of Jesus Christ? How do I separate what is comfortable for me from what is essential to sharing the message of God with these people. And that's actually a lot harder than you think, which is why you end up seeing, you know, people in Africa with three-piece suits on in the middle of the jungle singing Western-style hymns to a piano. Those are things that are imported by missionaries, and, and sometimes they don't differentiate between their cultural couching of it and their church traditions and what is the core message. So that's a that's a challenge, and especially in a place like Japan where their thinking is different. If you go in and say you're a sinner and you need Jesus to forgive you for your sins because you're guilty of of sinning, uh, even their vocabulary is different. So in Japan, the closest you can get to the word for sin would be translated as crime. 
So wow. that's, that's a challenge. That's a big oh, challenge. Totally. Where do you go from there? I mean, I can imagine, you know, meeting with a friend for coffee and I, I'd want to take time to communicate, you know, my own story, my own life, or if our relationship got to the point of being able to share the gospel, I can only imagine the struggle it would be to try and just, I don't know, the word sin that I've, you know, known it as, mm-hmm. it holds so much more weight than just criminal or I'm, right. I did a crime. It's, it's obviously just, I don't know, it's, it's, <laughs> I don't even know what to say right now. It's yeah. so, so much comes to mind. So where do you go from that? In a, in a relationship with someone in Japan um, when you want to try and communicate the gospel? Emily, that's a great question. <laughs> people are still writing books it's about okay this. It's okay if you don't know. <laughs> yeah. uh, people are still trying to figure it out. I think people are starting to get uh, some hints about maybe better ways to share. So I've heard people suggesting that when you're trying to share about sin, instead of using the word that they're going to think of with crime, you might use the word uncleanness. And the Bible does talk about uncleanness. And so they understand that. Um, so by no means do I want to communicate that, you know, Japanese people or that that honor-shame context is less educated than the U.S. It's just totally different than the Western yes. individualistic yes. mindset. And yeah. so it's not saying we need to figure out how to um, simplify it. It is to say we need to figure out and the the impetus is on us. It's our job as cross-cultural workers to say, how can I share this in a way that touches them deeply, not in a way that makes sense where I come from? And so um, in this book that I was reading about honor and shame, they used the analogy of a, a hammer and a screwdriver. And they said, imagine that you come from a culture that does not utilize screwdrivers. They only use hammers. And imagine your job is building a house. And every year you build houses and every year you buy a, a new and updated hammer. So your use with the hammer is getting better and better and better and more and more uh, skillful. But then you go to a culture that doesn't use hammers. And so therefore they don't use nails, they use screws. And so you're trying to build a house by pounding screws into the wood with a hammer rather than a screwdriver you'll have a little bit of success. The screw will make it into the wood a little bit, but you'll have very limited success because you're not using the right tools. And so sometimes we have Western missionaries going into places and they're taking the hammer and they're not recognizing that what they're doing is just not connecting with uh, the heart of the people that are there. Oh, what a visual. I'll probably never unsee that. That's so helpful. I think for, wow, you mentioned it in context to Japan, but that right. just seems appropriate for practically any culture you move to. You would just need the right tools. That's the idea of contextualizing, I guess, yes. is kind of a bigger word. But it's something mm-hmm. that I think really applies here for our mm-hmm. our work and how we can serve and meet meet others. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. Okay. So you uh, went to Japan how long ago? Or that's when, when you all first moved there? Yeah, we first moved there in 2018. That was after our survey trip. But we moved there officially to do uh, ministry there in 2018. Yeah, so your boots on the ground. Uh, what what were the first few months like transitioning with your family? And did you take a family? Was it just you and Jessica? Did you all have kids by then? What was kind of the status? Yeah, when we moved there, we had our daughter. She was three and a half roughly at the time. But my wife was pregnant with our son. So we got there in March and he was born in May. 
So oh, the wow. first few months were hectic and we don't remember a lot say. of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So she gave birth in a Japanese hospital. She did. And she gave birth without being able to speak Japanese at all because we were oh, still so man. new there. So it was really hectic and really crazy. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, I'm speechless here. I, I can't even imagine, obviously, the just the shock of, of labor and, and uh, just adding a, another kid to your life. And then, mm-hmm. obviously, you can't speak the language, so just total chaos. Yeah. Uh, so you stayed, though. It didn't That didn't scare you off. You you kept going. No, we stayed. Uh, yeah. Of course, we, we knew that uh, the baby was coming, so we wanted to get there before he was born just so we could get our house lined up and then have things ready. So it was a obviously a choice that we made. But um, you should you should ask her sometime. She she went through it all. I just observed. Oh, I love to hear her thoughts sometime. Wow. Yes. So the first Japanese word that we learned was pika pika, which is uh, their way of saying stars, because she had problems with her blood pressure. So they would come in and the, you know they'd make this kind of star movement with their hand, and they would be asking her, "Are, are you seeing stars? Do you see pika pika?" And uh, you know it was. It was really wild looking back on it. Whoa. And our, our team yeah. leader's wife is Japanese, so she was in the room for the delivery, kind of translating. So that's a, a good way to get to know somebody very quickly. Uh, it was yeah. hard. It yeah. was really, really hard. I think so. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, what a team leader. Man, yes. it's a team leader that's willing to just do the unthinkable to translate for you. Yeah. Uh, to talk about team life a little bit. You mentioned you had a team leader that was there helping. So uh, what else was going on with your team? So at that time, our team was very small. It was our team leader and his wife, um, ourselves, and then there was a single girl who's still on our team from South Korea. So that was nice. We we had the Korean connection with her as well. Her family actually um, moved to New Zealand. So she's from South Korea, but she's a New Zealand citizen. So she's got this interesting mix going on too. So she was on our team, but it was small. So our first few months with that involved a lot of time at the hospital and then a lot of time with me trying to juggle taking care of our daughter who was not yet in school and then also taking care of my wife and then after our son was born you know just trying to help with that so a lot of what you'd call non-ministry i guess just for a simple way to put it a lot of it was just living life but it was good because during all that time we became close with our neighbors and we live in a row of uh, these townhomes and there are four other units and there's just one long building with you know four different homes in it and they were super kind and super gracious they were giving us old baby clothes that their kids had outgrown and they were checking on us they were coming over and wanting to hold the baby so it was really cool and that's part of our uh, belief about uh, you know quote unquote ministry a lot of it is just being there and building relationships and living life among a lot these of life people. on life yeah yeah exactly so when you have a new baby that that leads to a lot of life on life so we were doing backyard barbecues with them you know they the people that are there they've been there for a long time so they have two barbecues a year in the backyard um, one after a big sports day that they have every year in the local elementary school and then another one kind of in the fall and they were really open they were inviting us into that so pretty oh, much wow yeah we have the baby thing going on and we just have meeting neighbors and being a part of life in our neighborhood well i'm stunned I, one of my favorite i think aspects of japanese culture is hospitality mm. i my husband and I took a survey trip there a few years ago. We were really curious for ourselves what long-term work would look like there. 
mm-hmm. or just serving there for for a number of of years. And so that was the the thing that just struck me the most at first was mm-hmm. just the radical hospitality they practiced and. I mean, a lot of the people that we met were just perfect strangers to us. I mean, right. people were meeting on the subways or whatever, but I could just tell that they were so glad to see me, even mm-hmm. if they didn't know me, you know, from Adam or anything. It was just, anyway, so to hear that story of your family being able to experience just a life on life type of ministry without even knowing the language is mm-hmm. so affirming to me, or it just, it's so exciting. I don't know. I, I get excited when I hear that. So they're very hospitable. They're, the Japanese people are very wonderful. We've always felt welcomed, and we live in Hiroshima, so there's a, obviously a historical element there. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, we've never had any, any anti-American sentiment or anything like that. It's been very nice. Oh man, go to Japan, y'all. That's, yeah. the, that's the pug, uh, the plug I'll make for that. Um, I want to know a little bit more about so teams. I, I think people when they encounter our organization, it, it's it's quite often we hear questions about, well, how do you pick your team? Do you have to recruit it yourself? Do they put you in a team? Or, you know, it's just, that's a big question. I think it's very appropriate too, obviously, when we think about starting a new uh-huh. job, it's team life is a big deal. So uh-huh. what does that look like for our, for pioneers? Can you give us a little bit of a rundown of how does that kind of work itself out? Yeah, that's actually one of the reasons we chose pioneers because, you know, part of what I was doing in South Korea is not only looking at different uh, possible missionary fields, but also different agencies, because there are a lot of choices out there that have a lot of different flavors. And what we really loved was that Pioneers doesn't assign you to a team or to a country, and they leave that up to you. And you have other organizations that do that. And I we and I think there are pros to doing that. There might be people that say, I feel called, but I don't know where. Can you tell me where? And they might say, yes, we have a need here and here and here. So there are definitely upsides to that. But we had a very, very strong heart for Japan. And we didn't feel like we needed any help trying to figure that out. Not that we were being arrogant about it, but um, it wasn't just us saying, we'll go send us anywhere. We had a specific heart for Japan and we knew that our background was leading us there. So we really liked that Pioneers was you know, open to us going where we felt God led us, uh, God was leading us to. And so when we took our initial survey trip, our daughter at that time, she was uh, eight months old. We went to Japan and we visited with the different Pioneers teams that were there. And so that was really helpful too, to actually be on the ground and meet the people that we would be serving with in the future and have a chance to actually go home and pray and say, okay, we've met these people that we will be working with. Who seems like a good fit for us? Where would it feel like, you know, we could work well with them and what that team is doing? So it's nice because every team within Pioneers has a different leadership style different focuses, different areas where they're trying to reach out and different things they're trying to accomplish. So it's cool to have that flexibility and say, okay, this team is focused on church planting, but they're doing it through college outreach. And then this team we're here is focused on church planting as well, but they're doing it through partnership with the local Japanese church and with, you know, little coffee meetings with locals or whatever it might be. Yeah. So it's really nice to be able to you know, have those options to choose from. 
Totally. I, I'm glad you mentioned that. I think that there are several amazing orgs that I could recommend, you know, to mm-hmm. anybody. But I, that's something that I've always loved about pioneers is just mm-hmm. the idea of the innovation, the flexibility that comes yes. with team life and team structure, being able to really run in the right lane for, for yes. you and your family and the, the ministry that God has on your heart. So I'm glad that y'all found such a good fit. And Oh, yeah, we've loved it. Well, I want to end our time with just a little bit of spurring. I want to hear just some of the most, uh, and obviously it'd probably be really hard for you to boil down your entire experience with Japan into just one little story. But if you could give us just a taste of some of the most encouraging moments that you had while you were in Japan. Yeah, this is perfect because we were just talking about team. And I can actually give you two stories about our team that bookend our time in Japan. Oh, great. So, okay. So, Young Ah is the uh, girl from South Korea that I was talking about, and she's been a really special part of our team. She got there shortly before my wife and I did, so we've been there for the same amount of time. And she said something during one of our early team meetings that really spoke to us. We were probably maybe four months into our time there, and so it is nice to be a part of a team. But obviously, you probably don't know your team super well before you get there. So it is kind of weird because you're trying to do ministry, but at the same time, you're just trying to get to know these people because um, you don't want to just say, well, these are these are my coworkers and reaching the world for Jesus Christ. I don't care that much about them as people, but, you know, we're working for the greater good that we weren't really like that. We wanted to know our, you know, our coworkers, but it takes some time and you have you know, some barriers up. You don't want to just be vulnerable right away. And I think she sensed that, that we were maybe kind of keeping each other at arm's length, not intentionally, but just that just happens naturally. So she just spoke up and our team leader has always been very good about saying, where are you guys at? Anything you want to say to the team? And she said, guys, I just feel like I have a word from God that I want to encourage us on. And can we just be family? Is that okay if we just embrace an idea of being family together? And she was very meek about it. She wasn't trying to say, you know, I'm taking over. This is what we need to do. It really felt like it was from God. And we could tell that that was her heart. And that spoke to all of us. And we just all latched onto that and said, yes, let's do that. And from that one moment, the walls kind of came down. And I feel like we just said, let's just be real with each other. And I really like that story because I know from talking with her that a lot of times on missionary teams, singles, especially if they're on a team full of married people, sometimes they feel undervalued or misunderstood or underappreciated because their life is, they're just in a different place than a a married family with kids. Uh, But they have such an important role to play. And she led us so well. And we really are still living in that mentality. And she's still part of the team. And we love her. And that was such an important moment for us as a team. Wow. What a game changer. I want to meet that gal. She sounds incredible. I'm glad that she felt the the courage and the freedom to share that. Because it sounds like that would be such a pivotal moment for your whole team to just step into okay, we aren't just coworkers anymore. Like we're family. So yes. with that obviously comes the mess and the the weight uh-huh. of what, bearing with each other. But yeah, what a what a green light for your team to just, yeah. now let's run together then. Wow. She led the way. And then the, yeah, yeah. the second thing was at the end of our time, this was the last team meeting we had before we came back to the US for our home assignment. 
our team leader was just basically asking us to do a debrief and share about, you know, how was your first term? You've been here for two years. How did it go? How are you guys feeling? And it took a lot of time, especially with the baby in there and some other health issues. So we always kind of felt unsteady. But as time went on, you know, we kind of got our sea legs and we started to feel better about it. And I remember saying in that meeting when he asked us, I feel like we are doing exactly what God made us to do. Even with all of the hardships, it just felt like the perfect place for us to be. And we were really thankful to be leaving with that feeling rather than feeling totally depleted and just ready to escape back to America. We felt great and we still felt like that's where God had us and what he made us to do. So that was a really awesome way for us to be able to end our first term in Japan. Wow. You know, I think that's my prayer for, gosh, anyone who can experience and taste global mission is that mm. as they're kind of debriefing, checking in with themselves, that they would, wow, they would see just the affirmation from God of like, right. this is it. This is right. where I want you. This is so life-giving for you. And it is such a taste of the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I don't know. I know that's not everyone's story, but that's my prayer is that people would get, and not just for global mission, for anyone who's checking in with themselves mm -hmm. and, and kind of figuring out, okay, in the span of my life, where am I? Where am I going? Where have I been? As we kind of give ourselves these assessments and have people even help us with those assessments that mm -hmm. we can kind of encounter God in that way and feel like we are we are prepared for whatever's next from God. And yet yes. we trust that he's got us precisely where we are meant to be. Mm -hmm. That's, I don't know. There's something about that that I feel like is just invigorating to us. Mm -hmm. Like our spiritual vitality, I feel like can just, I don't know, thrive when we feel like <laughs> we are hearing from God. We, we know where we're supposed to be. I don't know. I, I'm just excited about that for you guys. Well, thank you. Yeah, we're excited too. Yeah, gosh, I'm so glad you were on our <laughs> our show today. I obviously love hearing about Japan. Um, I can't wait to see how your ministry and your family continues to, to grow. Thank you. It's been a pleasure being here. I've really enjoyed it. We hope you enjoyed Patrick's story. And did you know that you can watch stories like Patrick's and others on our YouTube channel? Find our Pioneers USA channel on YouTube. Also, consider leaving us a rating and review to help others find the Relentless Pursuit podcast. <laughs>